Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Joy State Studios in California. It's episode 291 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Lee Marsh from Stolen Throne Cigars, who makes his debut on Primetime. And as always, the Primetime Show is brought to you by Saga Cigars. Salos Reyes introduced another chapter of the saga, Saga Salez. Salez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work and the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Salez is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga Salez carries a blend of Criollo Olor and Peloto Cubano, wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance, a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in four sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retail for Saga Salez. By Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand is consistently earning the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creepy Ecuador in Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrels wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Scott is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo 30th Anniversary, Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Albano Bourbon Barrage, Perdomo 23, Perdomo Ninso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at perdomocigars.com. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Cigars that made you one by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Sicilian's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows, as well as the California Studios for the Primetime Show on Thursday nights, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Episode 291. Today is Thursday, December 20th. First, 2023, Will Cooper, I'm in the Perdomo Cigar Studios in uh, Indian Trail, North Carolina, on the black stage, and I'm joined cross-country by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good, battling a little bit of a cold, but I think, uh, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, it's not going to be a bad one, which is good. Uh, yeah. I feel like I've headed off the worst of it today, but yeah. It's yeah, not really what you want, heading into the holidays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I want to, like, I was, that's why I just said, you know, uh, really, I haven't smoked since, uh, Tuesday night show pretty much. So, uh, no, I did smoke with John last night. I lied. So that was the last I did and I shouldn't have had that smoke. So, so yeah, but, uh, no, it's going good. We're, we're, uh, we're, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, baseball fever right now. Uh, cause everyone's talking about Yamamoto possibly going to the Phillies. I don't think it happens, but we'll see. Yeah. We need that signing to happen. So the rest of the guys can sign. I mean, you know what? I, I want him to go to the Mets and then Hector could, it's Hector's Hector has to deal with it. Yeah. That Hector could deal with all the pain of, of, of these guys. <laughs> so if he doesn't turn out for the money he gets, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. What happens when they get anybody, then they, they get hurt and then it's a waste for the first year or whatever it is. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, it that's exactly the case. Um, and <laughs> that's the Mets way, right? Yep. So, um, but no, otherwise this is our last show, Aaron, for 2023. So we'll, we'll, we'll be taking some time off next week. I know I can use yeah. it. I'm actually not off from my day job next week, which really stinks. So um, I'm actually working the full week, but I usually take some time off after the year end close. So right, okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll I, I usually enjoy it after after New Year's break. It's typically what I've I've dealt with. So okay. so it's okay. I don't really want to travel next week anyway. Yeah. And um, so uh, so all good. Um, yep. So Aaron, why don't we get into things tonight? Absolutely. So we have a special guest. Uh, I've been really excited for this show for a while. I think I was telling you, Aaron, because I've been wanting to talk to this uh, person for a while. Yep. And he makes some great cigars. Uh, he's doing a great job out there. Uh, I want to welcome Lee Marsh of Stolen Throne Cigars to Primetime. Lee, welcome to Primetime. What's up, guys? How's it going? How's it going, my friend? Good, man. Good. I'm with you. I'm ready to wind down the year. I hear you. I hear you. I know you've been traveling a lot. Um, you were just, we were just talking in the green room beforehand, so... Um, again, I, I was just saying to you as well, uh, I don't envy you guys. I mean, for sure. Um, but I guess like you said, it's good as, if you're, if you're moving cigars, that's good. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, you try not to complain too much because like going out and spending time with consumers, that's what it's really all about. Right. I, sure. I like doing events and stuff like that, but, uh, I'll be honest with you. I got a little taste of what it's like to be on tour and I don't think I love it. I don't think I'm built for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, we were doing the reconciliation. I think like September, I did something like twenty thousand miles in about six weeks between Nicaragua, the states, and Europe. It was uh, it was intense, but it's uh, like a yeah. It, you're right. It's a it beats the alternative. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, obviously, if you're not in front of customers, uh, you're not making sales, right? So, um, you know, or you don't have if you don't have your people in front of customers, you're not making sales either. So you it's that's you, right. You, yeah. So um, and maybe you'll be at a point if you're not there you'll, you'll have a team that can do that for you at some point but you know i know right now it's probably a lot on your shoulders too yeah i mean we have a great team i'm super lucky but it's like uh i don't know i like being out there right i don't uh you know I, I'd, I'd like to do as much as i can but it's uh you know there's only so many hours in the day yeah right yeah. so we're super lucky we got a great staff and great team that uh that definitely help out but yeah i like being out there with the consumers right it it's a little less diluted, right? It, it it's meaningful for them as well when they buy the product and they get to hang out with us and that kind of stuff. So and, and likewise for us, it's it's meaningful to be out there with them. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I know we were talking in the green. We'll get into like kind of your background a bit, but I know one thing I just want to mention up front is uh, you are from Baltimore. Uh, you are an Orioles fan, um, and I, you know I used to live in New Jersey, New York, and then New Jersey. And I moved down to Charlotte in 2008, but really, I could tell you, Lee, some of the best moments were taking my kids down to Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Um, and, and what was great about Lee, they were so good to the kids there. I never mm -hmm. saw a stadium treat the kids better than that stadium did. 
it's it's really you know I, I'm I'm gonna sound like a homer, but it, it is the perfect ballpark, right? Like yeah, it, it's family friendly. You know, it sounds funny when you say it's in the heart of Baltimore, but it is family friendly, and like it's it was kind of that that movement into the old traditional ballpark, right? You yeah, have a lot of them now that are that are kind of copied off of Camden Yards, and it's uh it's been a little bit of dr- drama here the last couple of weeks. They just signed a new thirty year lease, which sounds like it was going to continue to get kicked out in the can and. You know, the drama of the Angelos family about them potentially moving Orioles, which would be a travesty. But that's uh that seems to be past now. So but yeah, it's uh, you know, a lot of fond memories. I've seen a lot of cool games there. I was there for uh when Calvin broke the streak. I was there. Oh, nice. I was there I was there when they played the Cuban national team. Wow. Yeah. Um yeah. so it's it's uh it's a cool ballpark for sure. Yeah, yeah, because it I just had great, but we would go down and we'd stay at the, there's a Wyndham hotel and I used to have the Wyndham points. So we'd stay, a family, we'd stay there for the weekend and then we'd go, you know, right over to a couple, we'd go to two games usually over the weekend. So it was a, it was always a great, like I said, it was just a, like when you take small kids to a ballpark, you want them to have a good experience. And I always sure. felt like I could take the smaller kids there and it, it was just, it was just the, the staff there was so attentive and everything. It was really nice. So I always, yeah, it's funny. Like, you, it's funny you say that my kids, we just took them to their first game this year. Um, so we were there when the Orioles beat the Mets. Sorry, Hector. Uh, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> it helps me out. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, did you, um, yeah, one thing, but one more baseball thing, and then we'll kind of get into, uh, I want to apologize for Craig Kimball ahead of time for you, by the way. <laughs> you guys don't know what you're in for. And well, I don't you know. about him, and I'm sorry about it. Well, you know, it's one of those things. I, I thought it made more sense than going after. I, I would love to have Josh Hader back. He started with the Orioles, but yeah, it really doesn't make sense. Batista yeah. will be back, you know, so like yeah. the stopgap makes the most sense. And if he can't finish games, I mean, there's plenty of options. He could be a setup man or something, you know. I mean, I'll be honest, like the majority like, outside of Jack Flaherty, the majority of Michael Elias' decisions have worked out, right? I mean, number one, number one farm system again after like what? 40 years, 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I hope it's, I hope it's a good thing, but we'll see. No, that's farm system. Um, we all knew it was good. And I think it came, I think you guys got good a year before I thought it was going to happen, but everyone knew that, 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 with the, that system that was built was going to be a machine at some point. Yeah. So, well, it's yeah. just clicking. Right. And I, I think now they're at that weird precipice of where, they do need to move some of these folks because they're log yeah. jams and you can't keep everyone. And at some point, some of them aren't going to turn out, right? That's just the law of averages. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm hoping that this is the year that they uh, move on from a couple of them and, and try to make the team a little bit better. But you can't really complain with what they put on the field. I mean, 101 wins is the, Take the hell of a season. Yeah, it was a great yeah. season you guys had. You get, yeah, great season. All right, so Lee, let's kind of we always like to start off the interviews with a little bit of an icebreaker, and we like to talk about before let's, this is before you even get into the cigar industry. We're going to talk you sure. as a cigar enthusiast. What if you could recall your first experience with a cigar, a premium cigar? Yeah, I mean, my first cigar I've been smoking for a long time, probably about uh, twenty years now. Um, just like the normal experience, right? Smoking with uncles or family members is like the first true experience that I remember. Um, my uncle was in the military and he would bring cigars back from, he was in the Marine Corps. So he traveled all over and brought cigars back. So I remember that being my first cigar was like a, it was a farm roll. It was a custom roll that he just brought back. Oh, wow. Him. And uh, yeah, it just kind of started. Right. And like, it's one of those things where 
the passion kind of started without me even knowing it. And the cigars were always around. And then probably when I got into my early 20s, it, it started to pick up. And then as I traveled for work and stuff, you know, I was spending all my downtime in cigar lounges all over the place. So then just slowly, slowly builds. And then like that first time I went to a farm, I just fell in love with it. Right. Like I just kind of was like, man, this is pretty romantic. This all, all this like just happening. And it's, it's outside of the eye, right? Like the, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the casual consumer has no idea really what goes into a cigar. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild, but yeah, that, that first cigar was just like, you know, your first beer, right? You always have it with your dad or your uncle or something like that. You know, that was, and it was the same thing for me. Yeah, it was interesting. My my experience paralleled. I was doing a lot of travel and going into lounges. Most of it was in New York City, but um, yeah, very parallel experience where I just kind of got hooked on it uh, for sure. You mentioned you mentioned a farm. What was that farm you went to? Where I was, was in the Dominican. I was in the Dominican actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was back in La Romana, back when like Matilde and like uh, LFD were still doing stuff in La Romana before they moved to the other side. Um, that was probably 2008-ish, 2009. Yeah. Yeah, probably around that time. Because, yeah, Matilde moved, I want to say it was 15 or so. It was, you know, LFD moved before that, though. But LFD moved before that, they moved. Yeah. And and when Matilde, they started, they moved all the farms and stuff way early. But you're right. Like, like they, they had that small factory and store probably up until about 15. I yeah. Think, 2015, yeah. 2016. Yeah, because I went back there one time before, and they were already starting to transition over um, that that small factory. Right. Uh, but yeah, and then of course, like we went to Don Lucas as well, which is a super cool little tourist spot for people to check out. I yep. mean, the small factory and all you know the rum tasting and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I just it it was so captivating. Right. What, what you don't I, even really know what you're looking at. Like you're yeah. just taking in all so, this information. Like you're just exactly like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What what brought you down to La Romana at that particular point? It was it just were you going down there for cigars or was it something else? Just traveling, right? Like we were just, you know, I, I'm an avid traveler. You know, right. I've, I've lived all over the world and like it was just uh, we were in I think we were in Punta Cana. Uh, mm -hmm. My wife and I went there for our honeymoon and then uh, we constantly visited Dominican and stuff like that. So it was just like a random travel and when we just kept going back. Right. It was just one of those things. And I was like, oh, we might as well check this out. And little did I know, you know, 10 years later. <laughs> no, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, go figure. You know, I yeah. uh, I went, I'm going, I'm going to Dominican again uh, in February, and I'm going to be going to uh, Casa de Campo, which I'm looking forward to going back oh, to. Oh, nice. So, so, yeah, I'm going to have a little time there. It's a, That's an awesome area of the world to just go to. It is. It is. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been the Dominican in, in quite some time. I've had quite a few invitations. It's just. Not enough time in the day, man. Trying oh, to I know. Fit in a, uh, try to fit in an extra trip when I'm going back and forth to the factory and the farms every, you know, couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to squeeze those in. Yep. No, I hear you. Um, you know, before do you do stolen throne? Um, do, do you do stolen throne full time, or is it uh, you have? Other I do. Okay, so that's a yeah, big so, commitment you made. Yeah, it was massive. So I've been full. I've been full time with Stolen Throne for about two years. Okay. This will be we're finished up my second year. Yeah. What were you doing beforehand, like job wise? So I, I worked in all kinds of stuff. I was in tech and I was in legal compliance. So I worked for a large law firm for a while, and then I I went into tech, and then 
tech brought me to Virginia. I was working for the local uh, sanitation district, local government here. And then um, when we started the company and then I just, you know, it got to that point where the, the brand really took off a lot faster than I could ever anticipate. And then it kind of became that break even point of like, if I didn't like shit or get off the pot, right? Like if you don't commit, like the brand was going to start to suffer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it was a hard decision, right? Cause you're, you're watching something grow and you're not taking anything from it. And then you're like, ah, that was a huge risk, but oh, yeah. it worked out. It worked out. You, you, uh, it's kind of funny because I'm parallel. Uh, I started, I started in tech uh, and I've kind of made my way to legal compliance. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of like license agreements and stuff. That's kind of what I do now. So I've kind of, that's kind of how my path went. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a, yeah, I did the exact, I did the exact opposite. opposite. So you started, went the opposite way. <laughs> yeah. So I started working for K and all gates in Pittsburgh doing conflicts resolution and, and legal compliance, stuff like that. And then that kind of segued into tech. Yeah. Um, so it's as funny. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause normally it's the way I go that you're not, but mm-hmm. most people don't go your way. So that's kind of an interesting pass that you took uh, as far as that goes. But okay. So I got to ask, so what made you, what led to the formation of stolen throne cigars? You know, it's, it's kind of funny because like, you know, I've always been an enthusiast of cigars, right? Like I, I really fell in love with the, the, you know, the older and older I got and the more and more time I spent just in the camaraderie. And like, you know, as a consumer, if you're an active consumer, you start paying attention to stuff. And it was always one of those things where you're like, Oh, why well, would do this different? Or I think I would, I would do this a little different and like completely full of it. Right. Like you don't know what you're talking about, even right. though you think you do, but you're just <laughs> looking at like from the standpoint of like a consumer, right? Like one of the things that always bothered me was like, buying a box of cigars that you couldn't smoke for two months. Well, why would you do that? Like what other project would you do that with? Like I wouldn't buy a TV and not watch it for two months. Like I wouldn't do that. But yeah. And so it it became one of those things. And then like slowly, but surely it kept building like that, that I always say like that old joke you used to have with your friends, like, Oh, we're going to buy that bar one day. We're going to run that bar. And then you continue to get a little bit older. Time slips away as Willie Nelson says. And then it's, it becomes like, we're either going to do this or not. Like, you know, um, and of course, you know, there's no right time to do something like that. So right. for me, it was like, I just had my first child. I'm finishing up my executive MBA. Hell yeah. Let's just start a company too. Who cares? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, we'll figure it, we'll figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, and then it kind of got to that point where it's like, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be good at things, but I didn't necessarily love them. Like I was good at my job. I was good at things that I did and they paid really well, but it didn't. I wasn't passionate about it. Right. It wasn't something that fired me up every morning. You know I mean? Like who loves looking at contract documents and like, you know, but it's like, it, it was one of those things like, man, if I have to work another 30 years, like shouldn't, shouldn't I at least enjoy what I'm doing or at yeah, least absolutely. make an attempt. Right. Cause it's one of those things where right. I'm one of those guys where if I bust my ass and it doesn't work out, at least I know I tried and I gave it my best effort. Right. You know? Um, so it was one of those things where it was just like, okay, it's time to make a change and kind of either do it now or don't do it at all and kind right. of live with it. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but if, obviously you you it was you segued into a full time role there, but um, yeah. but nonetheless, uh, you still took the plunge. Um, I'll ask the question: What what? How did the name Stolen Throne come about? And what does that mean? You know, Stolen Throne kind of like, it comes from a very funny story. I get that question a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And the story, the story is true. You know, we were, 
we have been around the industry for a while, right? We knew a lot of people from traveling. I mean, as you know, like this, the industry feels bigger, but it's not. It's really it's small, not right. And if you travel around enough, you meet people and you start talking to people. And you know, we had helped out a couple local shops with, you know, I was as Jim Robinson would say, I am a cigar nerd, right? So helping <laughs> helping some stores with new product selection and that kind of stuff. So we kind of got around, and then you know, we were at a dinner one time, and. uh yeah, you know, some people in the majority of these folks in this industry are great, right? Like I have a lot of friends that are also manufacturers yeah. that I consider close friends and you know they've been super supportive. But there's a few that like, you know, any kind of competition they they lose sleep at night, you yeah. know. And uh so there was we were at a dinner with a couple owners and some reps and there was a comment made cuz word was starting to get out that we were getting into the industry and they you know, they made a comment that like, you know, there's no seat at the table. And I said, okay, well, I use some choice words that I won't say here, but like, uh, I said, well, I'll steal one, you know? And then, uh, that was actually the hardest part was naming the brand. So weeks go by, the lawyers are on us for like trademark purposes and all that kind of stuff. The crook was already done. We were ready. We just didn't know what we were going to do packaging and all that kind of stuff wise. And, uh, a friend of mine had said, you know, what about that time you told that guy to shove it? What about stolen thrown cigars? And so, like, that's how it happened. And then it, we kind of ran with it, you know. Nice. And But really, on the bigger picture, it's kind of like, you know, it's just kind of doing things our way, right? What we believe to be the right way. You know, I'm a first-generation cigar maker. So it's not right. like yeah. I was born in the tobacco field or this was passed down for me. So it's it's about our journey through tobacco and sharing that with the consumer and, and really doing it, um, you know, while honoring traditions, doing it with our own kind of spin on things. And I, you know, as we're having this conversation and we're, we're I'm looking at, we're thinking of the time frame, you know, because again, you was, you were going down to, you went down to DR in, in 2008 on that, with that farm yep. visit, right? You started yep. this company 10 years later, right? That's right. So, so you, and you, it's, it's, there's no doubt you were, you were becoming like really, I'll just use the geek word. I don't have a better word, right? Yeah, it's perfect. So, yeah. So when you were getting into this, right, you, you definitely had a vision, right? I don't think your vision was, hey, Someone blend me something, and I'm going to go sell it. It's, see, I'm getting this right off the bat that this is not the case. You you had nah. much more of a vision for what you were looking to do. So talk a little about that. Yeah, so, you know, the the one thing that it, it's kind of funny, and, and like, I, I take no qualms with it. Like, people have this idea of, like, Stolen Throne being an overnight success. And I guess commercially that's true. But they don't see those 10 years that I put in just learning. Like, sure, all I did was sure. travel around right, learn, right. and listen to people and do those kind of things. But you're 100% right. Like, I do all, I do all the blending and tobacco selection for our stuff. Um, and, and, and mostly because... I wanted it to be my choices, right? I right. didn't want to have a what if or someone to blame if it didn't work out, mm -hmm. right? Like everyone thinks I'm joking about the crook, but I'm not. The crook had to be the best cigar that I enjoyed because if I couldn't sell them, I was smoking 10,000 of them, yep. you know? So like it had to be something that I could right. smoke at any point in time and, and enjoy it, you know? But yeah, so it was one of those things where I, I, I don't believe in regrets. You either do something or you don't do it. And for me, I wanted it to be my choices so that if I have no one to blame but myself if it didn't work out, right? Right. It's the same thing as like the same premise of like, I don't want anyone else to write my songs. I want to sing the songs that I wrote, you know? So like, that's, that's kind of had a vision of how we were going to do it and, and how I wanted it to be. But it, it was very important to me that it was our choices that, you know, got us there, whether yeah, it be no, the blending packaging or whatever. It, you know, I understand. I totally understand that. What did you do in terms of a factory selection? How did that all come about? You know, ironically, that was pretty easy. I mean, we talked to a couple people 
but it was actually Island Gym that kind of pushed us into, you know, me, me meeting up with Noel. Okay. Because um, I, I I used to spend a lot of time at Leaf and Bean in the Strip, right? My wife's from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. and uh, Cool store. We yep. used, yeah, it's, it's awesome. We used to go there all the time and, and you know, seeing and Jim. And then, you know, him and I would have a couple late nights with Heinekens and cold sure. chicken wings and talk. And, and so he's like, you know, he's like, you really – you really need to link up with this guy, Noel Rojas. And so I called him, you know, we, we talked for about an hour or two, you know, and I, I was adamant, like, look, I have to be in control of the tobacco selection. I want to see what's available. I want to blend. I want to do everything. I want to learn and, and kind of do it the right way. And he was like the first person that we dealt with that was like, sure, man, no problem. All right. And, uh, and I said, I was like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I jumped on a plane and met him in Texas. And then later we were in Nicaragua. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, so, and then from there, now we have the Rojas factory. We have worldwide tobacco that we own together. And it, it's kind of, it's been a whirlwind, man, to be honest with you. Like I always say it, like I always believe in what we were doing, but I'd be lying if I told you that, you know, here we are finishing our fourth year going on our fifth anniversary in May that we'd be where we are, you know? Um, but I think that speaks to kind of, keeping with our vision and being connected to the consumers, right? Like in, and not breaking that bridge. I mean, because really the first couple of years of stolen throne cigars was about 98% natural growth. Like it's just consumers getting behind the brand, going into their stores and be like, why don't you sell this stuff? Right. Right. You know? And, and now here we are, you know, like I said, you know, 24, 2024 will be our fifth year anniversary. We're in 250 stores nationwide in seven countries. You know, so, I mean, uh, it's, it's been a whirlwind for sure. Yeah, no, I bet I, I, you know, and like I said, you've, I think in five years, um, you know, I see a lot of companies, they hit that five year mark and it's just like, they jump the shark and I, I don't, I'm not seeing that with you. It's, it's definitely, I've, I've seen a lot of excitement with the brand. Um, I, I really enjoyed your last release. Um, the Yorktown, by the way, very, very nice job. With I that appreciate cigar. that. Yeah. Very nice job that. with that cigar too. Yeah. Yep. So, I uh, was hoping to smoke one tonight, actually, but uh, I want to enjoy it much better than what I could. Unfortunately, I can't tonight with the with the. And I think, and I think to your point was like we did control growth, right? Like, and yeah. I'll be honest with you, like when we released the crook, um, I had no idea what was going to happen, right? Uh, you know, I come from a traditional business sense, right? And I was like, in my head, I'm like, man, our first year, if we can sell to twenty thousand cigars, I'll be happy, which you know isn't a lot, right? No, but like, no, it's not. Like, okay. <laughs> But it's like, okay, that's two production runs. We've got a little hold. We're getting reorders. That's a pretty good growth for our first year. I mean, we sold our third, our first 20,000 cigars in like six weeks, right? right? And so we ended up doing like 100,000 cigars just in the crook and two sides in our first year. We were not prepared for that, <laughs> right. you know, so um, which is a good thing, right? But it, 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 we learned quickly that you have to be flexible and you have to be opportunistic, right? And, and that, that ended up with us with the agriculture operations, the factory and all that kind of stuff that had to go really, really quickly. Um, but yeah, it's because, you know, to, like we said, with our growth has just been, we've controlled it, right? We believe in relationships. You talk to the retailers that work with us, like it's not a transaction, but that helps, right? Because they support the brand because yeah. we are small, even though we have a, yeah. a, a pretty, a pretty wide footprint. I have five employees, right? Nation, like in on stateside. Yeah. You know, so no, it's uh, yeah, but I agree. You haven't like 
like I said, the control growth is, I think, a, a very good thing, and uh, I think it's really benefited you. I can see how it's benefiting you, at least how I'm observing it. Um, but uh, I'm glad it's working for you as well. You, the crook of the crown. You, you kind of touched on this a little earlier. Like this was, you, you wanted to go in and basically make the best cigar possible, right? So, how long did that process take? Because you know. I see a lot of companies, a lot of people go in, and that's what their goal is with the first one. But was it something that was a long process, a short process? And I know it's different for everybody. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer here. No, I mean, it, so the blending process itself, I mean, was pretty quick, uh, about probably about 24 hours straight of right. sampling things. Right. I mean, the difference with, but at that point, like I didn't really have a creative process, right? Like it was right. baptism by fire. We were messing around. But the, the thing that's different with us is that, there there is a cultivation period you know we we made the crook but we were smoking the crook probably a year and a half before we ever released it and brought it to market right right you know, nice. yep. because i wanted to understand what the tobacco was going to be what the finished product was going to look like over time and like i i think that's kind of what gets lost in the shuffle of there's some people that want to put out as much product as possible and like we're just we're just not that way uh and what a lot of people don't realize is that i had the call to arms blend blended when i did the crook but we waited another year and a half to do the same thing to kind of feel it out and 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 work the process and, and kind of rework it to make sure that we were putting our best foot forward in terms of tobacco could you know and, and those kind of things so on average it's about a year and a half two years into development for a new cigar yeah um some of it takes a lot longer i mean the three kingdoms like I'm a huge Habano guy, and our our Habano offering was our third release because it took me three years to make that cigar. You know, so it's kind of one of those trial by you know trial by fire and like trial and error, constantly reworking things. Yeah, no, but you know, it was the process you took in, in, with Crooked the Crown. I kind of like that. So you you were really as you were getting into this, this was a it's you basically were smoking that a lot, long time, right? So you were comfortable oh, yeah. enough with that being like your cigar like it sounds that's like. right so yeah, like because it's like yeah. it gets to the point where it's like when you're I'll, I'll never forget like the first piece of advice noel gave me was you know just make sure you're living your story and he's right like yeah. when you're doing the things we're doing it's not hard to sell right you're just telling your experience like whether it's the cigar whether it's the journey whatever it may be because, you know, a lot of people said I was crazy. Like, I talked to a, a handful of guys that, you know, are making cigars. They're like, you're nuts. You're coming out with one cigar. And I said, yeah. I mean, because, like, no one knows who I am. So now I'm going to come in and ask for their most valuable asset, their shelf space. Right. And they're going to they're gonna give me, th uh, you know, a place for six offerings. Like, uh, mm. Habano, Maduro, Connecticut. No, I'm not doing that. Like, you know, we'll, we'll do it this way. And in the same way, we got competitive with our displays and the way we package and all those kind of things to make ourselves competitive as far as the retailer is concerned. Right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's an elastic market. It's an elastic product. If I disappear tomorrow, there'll be some sad folks who are going to miss stolen throne, but they'll, they'll get over it and they'll smoke something else. Right. So it's like, yep. how do you, how do you position yourself and make yourself different in that, in that way to bring people to your product? No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. You, when we were talking names earlier, you said that you actually had the Crook of the Crown name before the Stolen Throne name. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. So how did the Crook – what was the significance of the Crook of the Crown name is what I'll ask on that now. I think for that, it was just about like kind of 
going off what we already talked about, like just kind of like making your own way, right? Like I, like I said, I'm a first generation uh-huh. cigar smoker, so it's just doing our, our the doing cigars our way, right? We're still following the traditional way of doing it in terms of construction, but the approach is different. We're not trying to sell some legacy that we don't have. We're not trying to you know put lipstick on the pig and and you know put you know I'm a gringo. Obviously, I'm not going to do you know this elaborate Spanish theme that I don't have. You know, so it was kind of that and kind of taking our way in terms of how we were going to approach the market and the way we were kind of going to make our way. And it just kind of flowed into with the stolen throne, right? Like we're just, we're just here to take our seat at the table. I first heard of this cigar through the folks at Cigar Federation, some of the guys who were doing the show. How did that relationship all, because it seemed like for a while you had a very, was that because of the distribution that maybe Noel had earlier with those guys? No, so you know, I I've known Chris and Kyle since like 2014. Okay. So like I met them back at like when I was just a consumer. And, okay. And we had had a tight relationship. I I had met those guys actually at the old Delaware Cigar Festival before they yeah. stopped doing that. Um, and we just stayed tight. And then you know once Noel you know let them know that we were making this product, like they really got behind me. And okay. um, it was like one of those things where. You know, we launched with them and then we got a, a lot of early reviews that kind of blew up. And then that's yeah. really, it just started this like trajectory that's kind of never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it came out, it came out very, very, uh, very quickly. Um, You know, like that's how I first heard of it with, you know, guys, I know some of the guys who were doing the shows there and they were, they were very high on the cigar. So uh, it was um very, very exciting to see. And I do really, I got a comp, I love the artwork you guys have done on these bands, by the way, um, you know, I think you talk a little about what you've done with some of the, maybe how you've kind of, uh, how you've kind of worked to get the artwork done on, because they're very nice bands you guys have on these cigars. I, I appreciate that. Well, a lot of it is like, I, I firmly believe in, you know, letting creative people be creative. Right? right. And so like, I don't want anyone telling me how to blend the cigars. So I don't want to tell them how to, you know, do artwork or, and basically yeah. how that all came about is like, we came up, I came up with the crook of the crown band myself, but then after that, um, we were actually in Webster, Texas at smoke ring. Um, and we met a young tobacco, uh, tattoo artist. And he was like, Hey man, like who's doing your graphic design work? And I said, well, we are, but like, you know, do you want a shot? He was like, yeah. So he sent me his portfolio and, and he started working and basically, you know, I just gave him ideas and let him run with it. Right. And he did the call to arms in the three kingdoms bands. And then with the Yorktown fleet, it was actually our national sales director, uh, Phil. He's a active air force. And I, um, I basically told him like what I was thinking and he came up with it. You know, he did, he did all the artwork. So it's kind of just, you know, allowing people to take their shot and be creative with the ideas. Right. I just give an idea and let them run with it. And we basically just kind of, continue to it's very easy to stay on brand with what we're doing right sure that's important that's important but at the same time like it's meant to be fun and expressive and and that kind of thing so allowing everyone to have a little you know input and stuff it's good for the team it's good for everybody and you know i like them because they're simple but they're they're unique and different right that's kind of what i like about them yeah yeah, I mean, I, I I always say I don't like to put lipstick on the pig, right? Like, you know, yeah. it's uh, it's cool. They look great. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're not smoking the band. You're right. smoking the cigar. 
Right, right. Totally get. It. And and as far as like Vitolas that you release, Vitolas, you, you you've kept it pretty simple, like a Robusto Toro to start out with with that um with the Crooked Yeah. Class. So yeah, so we did Robusto Toro just because historically, right, they're their most popular sizes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what we've what we've done across the portfolio is we always keep the Robusto. Because being from the Northeast, man, those colder those colder months, yeah. you know, like you and you want a robusto, and then we've played with the longer expression. I mean, with the with the called arms, we did the Cuban Corona six by forty six. I mean, with the Yorktown, I mean, with the Three Kingdoms, we did the Prensado box mm -hmm. press tor Toro, and then with the with the Yorktown, we did the box press torpedo because it's a ship, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we're constantly doing that. I mean, I envision it staying the same. We'll keep the robusto and constantly play with the longer vitola. Um, but simple, man. Like I, you know, I, I, I personally am not a guy that believes in in line extensions. I say that, and obviously, you know, we're doing a crook corona for our fifth year anniversary. Uh, <laughs> but they, that's a one time thing. You sure. know, for me, I'm a right. I'm a data guy. I'm a data guy, right? right? So you'd have to give me a shit ton of data that tells me that I'm actually selling more if I offered a crook in a different size, or am I cannibalizing others? And and from a standpoint of the retailer, it's easy. They they like our setups. They like how it's working, and it's simple. You know. Yep. How do you um? So I know you've done some limited along the way. I've yep. seen some of the limited private, but obviously you're building a brand, and the key to your long term success is going to be a core line. So how do you balance right. that out? Um, because I know people get excited about the limited, and there's probably some really sure. good limited you're doing, but but obviously you want to keep these core lines growing for years to come. Yeah, I mean we've we've always relied on the core, right? And and I I always we talked about you know, the consumer side, one of the things that I, I never liked is this kind of like smoke and mirrors kind of like connotation that like you're somehow putting more effort into this limit cigar. That's going to be a one-time offering. Right. But like as a, as a consumer, why are you telling me that everything I buy on a daily basis from you is less than this one-time thing yeah. that you're trying to, and then you're rebringing it back six months right. later because it, you know what I mean? Then it's not limited. And so for us as like what I would consider to be like, I, I had this vision of what the boutique side looked like. And it's like, if you notice, like we generally don't do limiteds more than once, right? It, the, right. We get, I get hounded about the war council. That's not coming back. Right. Like that's just not what we do. Right. Um, but it, it's always relied on our core line. We we live and die by the core line, and and it's it's gotten us this far. And I don't see it changing because at the same time, I put the same amount of effort in every cigar we push out. The difference with the limiteds is we've done some different things. Obviously, we made the cigars for the Yellowstone TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And then mm -hmm. you know we do the Argos for charity and that kind of thing. But like the shop exclusives and stuff. And really, what that's about is like. You know, when you're sourcing tobacco and you're growing tobacco, there's some times that you come across some things that you like and enjoy, but you, I just don't have enough to make hundreds of thousands of cigars. And so that gives me an opportunity to be creative and do something limited and then move on to something else. But it's always going to come back to our core line. You know, I mean, here we are going into five years, you know, the crook's still making consensus top 25 list. And that's what's really important, right? The consistency of what yes. we're doing. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So I it's the, the albums are always important, right? The one off live albums are great, but like it always comes back to your hits. You know, that's that's kind of the way that I look at it. Yeah, Lee, if you have a cigar that's five years old, it's it's like you said, it's making lists still. Um it's that's a really powerful message, I think. That's the most powerful thing I think you could ask for as a cigar maker. Uh, it's a good it's a great statement. So um 
it it's uh obviously he did something very right with that is what i'm saying yeah you know it's one of those things like i i love all the support that we get and and right. and the the people that give us great feedback on the cigars is awesome but i yeah. i will tell you like the most meaningful is when someone tells me that like you know when i pick up a soul and throne i know exactly what it's going to taste like and i know what it's going to do that's that's important because i'll, I'll be honest with you right when I got started, I had no idea how much work that was going to be. I had no idea how much time I was going to spend selecting bales for production years because of maintaining consistency. Yeah, and 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 messing with the tobacco to make sure that the cigars stay where they're supposed to be. I mean, I had no idea what that was, what kind of effort and what kind of work that was going to take. Um, oh. and and I'm proud of it. Like that's that's kind of the one thing that I, I'm. I'm most proud of with the brand is that our consistency. Yeah. I think that's obviously what you need to strive for. And that's, that's a great thing to have. Now you, you know, again, you kind of go in, you, 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 you develop crook, uh, the crook, right. And it's, it's a, it's a big hit. It's exactly what you want, but now you have these follow-up lines. How now you're faced with this challenge. I got to top myself now. Right. So, how did, what was some of the thought process you put into some of these follow-up lines now? Um, because obviously you have this thing that you kind of went all in on, and now you got to go to the next level here. Or try yeah, it. Yeah, I, I was scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> like, because I'm like, I can only I can only go down from here, right? I read like, your you site, know, sophomore jinx. I was like, yeah, I read that. Yeah. yeah, so it was like one of those situations where it's like, I knew whatever we had to do right. had to be different. Right. Because no matter what, no matter what we put out, it was going to be compared to the crook. And so right. we had to make it as far different as possible. And that was like, that's always been my fear. Like as a blender, I never wanted to be predictable. I mean, the three of us know we had, there's brands out there, great cigars, but you could blind taste them and you know exactly what brand they are. Yeah. Right. And so I, I just didn't want to do that with the way we were approaching things, the way we were doing things differently. So when we did the call to arms, like it was a shock to a lot of people's systems. And I'll be honest with you. Like I haven't been the biggest Sumatra fan ever. Right. But when we were in Ecuador sourcing ta tobacco and, and wrappers, like, and Wall was like, you got to try this. And I'm like, nah, I'm not interested. He goes, no, 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 just smoke it. And I was like, all right, I want it all. Like how much for everything? And, you know, so it's one of those things. That, and I think that kind of plays into like, I, I get asked about like my blending process all the time. And one of the things is I never know what I'm doing when I go in there. Like I'm not myopic. I don't go in there and say, I'm going to do a Habano or I'm going to do a, a Maduro. Or I'm going to do a Sumatra. I just kind of let it play because the caught arms is a prime example. Like if I, if I just stuck to the tunnel vision, like that cigar would have never happened. Right. That's, yeah. And, yeah. And so like that kind of, that was a shock to a lot of people, but then it took off because it was just so different. And, you know, and we've kind of followed in that footsteps, like everything we've done, nothing, it tastes the same or nothing is kind of either anywhere close to it. I mean, even with the Yorktown fleet, right? The Yorktown fleet is the same wrapper that we use on the call, but we've aged it out three years for the Maduro, right? So, I mean, even those like constantly playing with the flavor profiles and doing something different to make constantly push that lines and keep people engaged, you know, that's really important. Lee, I was shocked when I smoked Call to Arms of the sweetness level that I not that it was the sweetness I was getting from a Sumatra wrap blend on that was was very unique to me, right? Yeah. So that that's I, I don't know if that is how when you say it's unique, that was what I got from. I'm like, there's a there's a unique sweetness to this. Was that yeah. what you were going for? Because sometimes I get what I what I I, I get what I call Sumatra ick, and I'm like, uh, I, I yeah, but I don't get that with it. There's a sweetness, and I, I believe me, it's it. it it, I have every reason to believe it's Sumatra, right? Um, 
Yeah, because it is unique. So talk a little about that, maybe. If I'm if I'm off base on that, let me know. No, no, you're not. I mean, a, a lot of it is like what we've done with our our processes and like with the tobaccos, and, and a lot of times when when they're compared to what others have offered, it's about the really it's about the time and the process and the tobacco, right? Yeah, it's the same thing with the the crook was so monumental because a lot of people haven't hadn't at that time smoked a fully processed San Andreas, right? So they expected it to be harsh and gritty and it's not, it's sweet. It's got a nice, I mean, the filler gives it a nice power, but the sweetness off the wrapper and the same thing with the call, the call has such a nice dexterity to it. And and you're not wrong. It, it is sweet. And what I liked about the cigar when we were playing with it in terms of the fillers and the combined, yeah. it, it, it has this like creamy and spicy note to it, which you yeah. uniquely don't never get in the same cigar. Right. And so, like, that's when it hit me. It's like, it's just, especially in the Corona, man, like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's such a relaxing and, and, and like, embracing cigar, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're saying the, the sweetness off it, but then you get a little bit of spice, a little bit of creaminess, and it's like, yeah. it's a it's a full experience. And, and the cool thing about the call is it's strong enough for seasoned smokers like us, but even a, a you know, a, re- a relatively new smoker can enjoy that cigar. Very well. approachable. Very approachable. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and what I, I get asked about all the time about when I'm just, you know, cause I like stronger cigars. We don't make mild cigars, but it has to have flavor. It's, yeah. I, you know, you don't want to melt your face off with just a strong cigar for no real reason. Right. It's like the equation I always give is like, I hate hot sauce. It's hot just to be hot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It has to have flavor. And that's kind of like that cigar was like a, a true testament to that kind of being different, kind of embracing people that like I've had people say that I hate the matcha. They smoke the call and they're like, I like that cigar. You yeah, know, that's I'll tell you, like if I had to say it's one of my two least favorite rappers, but I don't I've learned early on not to dismiss a, a cigar because maybe I had a bad experience with a rapper. But that was like I said, I, I got that. I'm like, this is very, very this is something very different. And it's very approachable for maybe someone who hasn't. If someone hasn't smoked Sumatra, I'd say give or if someone who has smoked Sumatra, give that one a chance because it's 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 a nice nice smoking experience um, on that. So I enjoyed that one, um, and like I said, I just like I said, I thought it was very unique for Sumatra there. Yeah, I mean, and I think to to your point, like I think we all do it. We all have that confirmation bias of we smoke a wrapper and we were like, ah, that's terrible. I hate it. But really, I mean, there's so much more that goes into that, right? And and you could have that wrapper again that's actually processed differently and handled differently, and it's a completely different experience, right? Right. But it's it's hard as a consumer. Period. I mean, we all we all kind of go with our biases one way or the other, and so you know, yeah. The the call was a. Don't get me wrong. I had a bunch of sleepless nights worrying about releasing that cigar. I generally don't sleep for like the first two weeks when we release a new cigar because <laughs> you're just worried that everyone's going to hate right. it. Right, but uh, no, I mean it. It we've been lucky enough to where I that hasn't come to fruition. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. The uh, and you mentioned the Yorktown, which is also Yorktown fleet, which is also a Sumatra. Um, that so the name Yorktown was that just be- from the Annapolis connection in Baltimore? Yeah, so so okay. like you know the the Yorktown was it was. It's it was very interesting because like you know we had just we we were headquartered in Virginia here and we just moved our headquarters to Yorktown and I was kind of thinking I'm like okay. man we we really don't have anything that kind of pays homage to you know Virginia and like you know the, the history of tobacco here but also you know like the Yorktown but I was monumental in the Revolution right and we're we're very deeply tied to the, the military with, with both the area that we're in and our staff right so it was something that kind of 
did all those things, paid homage to the military, paid homage to where we're located. And uh, plus it's just a cool name. I like it. Oh, I do too. I do too. So it kind of just came. A lot of these, like, I'd like to tell you, I have like these super cool, like, creative processes when we're naming stuff. But a lot of times it's just an epiphany. Like, we're just sitting and, like, all of a sudden, because I find that, like, if I try to name something, I can't do shit. But, like, if I'm just sitting there, like, watching TV, all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's a good cigar name. Like, you know. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's been really cool to see. I mean, it's obviously been a huge hit. I mean, nationwide, but here it's been awesome. You know, we have a lot of service members that that's kind of been their go to cigar now. Um, you know, locally, we, we get a, a lot of feedback from that. Um, so it's 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 really cool. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a it's been a success. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Um, I know you, you did a Connecticut uh, Phantom Queen. Is that that's a more limited release, correct? Yeah, that was a one and done. That was okay. one of those one and dones. And the whole thing behind that was like, you know, we like challenges and, you know, I don't smoke Connecticut's. I'll be honest with you. Right. I'm not, I don't like small cigars. There are some really great Connecticut's out there, obviously. Um, but for us, we were like, man, could we create a, a Connecticut that we would smoke? Um, and we, so we did that one and done, you know, and, and kind of, I don't want to be in the Connecticut business. <laughs> okay, I was just going to ask you if you wanted to be in the Connecticut business. No, uh, there, it's super yeah. expensive, and uh, like <laughs> it's like for what you know, I you know. But I will say this: you know, the 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 Connecticut rappers that are coming out of Ecuador now are just insane. Like right. the flavor profile and and what they're doing now. Um, you know, Ecuador in general with their longer growing seasons and and that kind of stuff, the, the rappers are just unreal. Right. Um, but as far as Connecticut, it's just it the juice isn't worth the squeeze for me. Like I just, uh, it's not one of those, it's not my favorite to work with. Um, but we did it and you know, we, we put that under our hat and we moved right. on. Right. Right. What would you say? But maybe there's, you know, I know your cigars are heavier, which was the one you'd say is, you know, I would say maybe that cold arms is more of the gate. Would that be your gateway cigar? You'd say, or which one would you it say? Would. Your gateway? Yeah. Yeah. It would definitely be because it, it like I said before, like yeah. it has enough nicotine for the normal smoker. And a lot of flavor, right? Yeah. But it's also not going to burn people down that maybe don't smoke as many cigars or, or just kind of getting into it, you know, or transitioning from flavored cigars into, you know, normal premium cigars, you know. So it, I would definitely say that that's a gateway. But I've also had people smoke the Crook Toro, you know, as long as they smoke slow and kind of enjoy that as well. But definitely if I had to pinpoint one to be our gateway, it would be the, it would be the call to arms. Yeah, that's what I would sure. say. That was, that's what I, that was my thought. You um, but obviously you mentioned at the top of the show you're traveling more. Uh, you're going down to Nicaragua, so you're spending a lot more time in Nicaragua uh, at the factory and now farms as well. So you guys are in the farming business, or are you yeah. working with, or you're working with different farms. How's that working? So we we've done a a little bit of a hybrid, right? We do a little mm -hmm. bit of both. We're growing we're growing our own right. tobacco, and now we're you know we're producing all of our own filler. So. Oh, across the board every right. cigar you smoke we're growing the filler um but you know be, a lot of that's just because of demand it was never really an infrastructure plan um but you know after we launched the crook and and the cigar blew up you know it became a real issue i mean there was a time where i was out of cigars for six months oh, and boy. as it as a new company like that that can't you can't survive that way right mm -hmm. so you know quickly noel and i had that conversation like this can never happen again and so at that at that point, we started financing farmers and started setting up our infrastructure and, and all that. And now I guess it's been officially like two or th 
uh, about two, two and a half years since we launched Worldwide Tobacco, which is our tobacco company. So we're growing throughout the regions, you know, Condega, Esteli, Jalapa, um, and, and, and Ometepe and, and growing through there. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was never meant to be more than just sustaining the factory and the demand of our own cigars, but it's kind of grown exponentially with the demand for tobacco universally. Right. And obviously as you get more vertically integrated, you're, you're feeling you have a lot more control of your process with doing this. Yeah. That's super important. You, yeah. you know, you're getting, a, you're getting a lot less waste, you know, you know, for us, the vertical integration, obviously it's one of those things where that was kind of the cool part of being able to bring some of our traditional business sense into a passion project, mm-hmm. you know, obviously with the vertical integration, I mean, we haven't, I haven't raised prices since we launched. Right. So we're going into 2024 crooks cross the same as they did when we launched in 2019. So that's allows us to do that. Right. Right. And so that's, that's a big competitive edge as well as just maintaining. And and we like the processes, right. When you're conditioning and fermenting your own tobacco, you you can maintain a higher level of quality control, higher standards, less waste, all those things that, you know, that really affect your profit centers, but also they affect your end product too. Right. So you know, we feel a lot better standing behind our product because we know what we're using from the get-go. That's a great, that's great, yeah. Yeah, I've heard, you know, a lot of brand people have told me this is some of the growing pains they've hit. Uh, hey, you know, we, we had tobacco, and now we don't have access to this tobacco anymore, and it's, you know, it's fill, it's key components to my filler and stuff like that. Or it's a wrapper, I mean, so yeah. Oh, yeah, it's 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 yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, and, and now we've even, you know, set up relationships with, wrapper growers so now we're conditioning wrappers as well to make sure that they're maintaining quality and because that i mean that's really important i mean one of the worst parts we've all had it a cigar that we really love we go back to it a couple months later and buy it again and you see a noticeable drop off yeah right absolutely yeah yeah that's a that's a horrible feeling on that uh we've talked a lot about your production and uh now in the distribution end um well, I, was gonna qu- I always ask this question. What do you find harder, making a cigar or distributing it? Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> the company growing up through COVID, I would definitely say making a cigar. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, right. Distribution's pretty easy. I mean, we're internally okay. distributed. You know, we're distributed for ourselves and, and, and a few others. Right. Um, that's a pretty simple process, right? Oh, like, good. Okay. Some people have struggled with it. That's why I ask. Yeah, you know, like we we – we talk to a lot of manufacturers and, and a lot of people ask for advice. And to me, like, I think it's an important part of your business to learn. Like I, I don't, we don't farm that stuff out because we have the capability to do it ourselves. And right. I understand some, some folks don't. Right. But my, my point would be to, and we just had this conversation with another manufacturer like last week, like to me, you should at least try it first, try to do it yourself because you're, you're learning so much about your business when you're doing it yourself. And not only that, like you're, you're, you're maintaining a lower overhead, right? right? You're farming out. The profit margin is only so much. And now you're going to start paying other people to do it for you, which limits your, you know, your cash flow. Yeah. But, but for us, we learned so much more about our business by doing it ourselves, right? Inventory turns, those kind of things, like how quickly the data we can now give to new and potential retailers of how quickly things sell when they buy it at a certain price point or a certain level, you know, all those things that are super meaningful to the long-term value of your business. So, I mean, for me, the manufacturing part is super difficult, especially not so much now, but like with COVID, it was harder and harder to get to the factory. You could only be there for so long and like, you know, 
and then coming back and forth and managing the logistic nightmares of what that entailed on every part of from A to B, right? From the factory to customs. Customs was exponentially taking longer than it ever had before. Not really getting an ETA from, you know, UPS worldwide was basically just a guess. So like, <laughs> like it yeah. became like the cable company. So they'll show up now between now and your death somewhere in there, they'll get there, <laughs> you know? And then of course you got customs destroying your product at some point, you know? So all those things like that's definitely the harder part than the distribution in my opinion. Um, yeah, I can, I can say that. That would have but been. we also have our own warehouse, our own fulfillment staff, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's 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 pretty cut and dry on that standpoint for us. But the manufacturing part, always. Yeah. Something's always happening. You're always putting a fire out. Yeah, yeah and I guess you're so hands-on with it. Like I could see that. Okay, yeah, you're seeing probably more of the fires, and you're not as insulated from that as someone who's just no. contra- you know, contracted out with. So I, 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 I can understand that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, Aaron. Anything we want to hit with Lee on 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 stolen throne before? Can I get into a couple of these other things? No, I think you hit it pretty well. All right, Lee. So I have a few. Uh, these are a few different types of segments we're going to go through here. Get to know you a little better. Um. So first, this is our our FSG beef segment, Florida Sungrown beef segment, sponsored by uh, Florida Sungrown Tobacco. And it's a very simple question I have for you, Lee. It's an open ended question. There's no wrong answer. What is the favorite steakhouse that you have visited, assuming you're not a vegan? If you're a vegan, you can, you can answer this differently. A favorite steakhouse? Yep. It would probably be uh, Deacon's uh, New South in Nashville. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. This has come up when I've got – It's awesome. Really? I haven't been there. Okay. It It's one of the coolest experiences. So they have – at the, at the time when I visited the first time, they had the largest dry age room on the East Coast. Um, and they do everything family style. So the way they serve everything uh, is family style. But it, it it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, I'm a big steak eater. But Deacon's really stands out as far as, especially if you like dry aged beef. I mean, nice. it's it's an awesome experience for sure. Yeah, this came up when I was in Nashville last year. Uh, and that was on the list of places to go to when we couldn't get in there is what happened. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, but Nashville, Nashville's becoming like another Charleston, right? There's like, there's so much to eat and and there's so many places to go. I mean, I can't even drive through uh, Charleston without gaining 15 pounds. (laughs) Oh Um, my goodness. I get that. No, (laughs) I'm not far from there. Yeah, but, you know, like, Nashville's insane. I mean, Deacons is great. You know, you got Sean Brock in Nashville now doing the Continental, which is awesome. Yeah. If you guys have never experienced, like, a five-star hotel dining setup, that's really cool. We had a blast there. Um, I have a funny story about the, the Continental, actually. When last we were in Nashville, so we did Deacons the one night. My wife and I went for my birthday, and, and, and Sean Brock had let us come in. He invited us over for the dinner, and – my wife's pregnant with my son at the time, so he had an old school set five course menu. You know, he comes out, talks to us, and sees that she's pregnant. Goes back, changes the whole menu so that she could have every course. And I said, "Wait a second, it's my birthday." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Well, she's better looking than you," which is factually correct. So, right, right, there you go. <laughs> yeah, 
No, no. So Deacons is definitely a must hit. If if you get back to Nashville, I definitely recommend it. Awesome. Awesome. I got to definitely, like I said, this came up, so I'm glad I've gotten a good report on this. Awesome. So, all right, this next question for you, Lee, uh, this is what's called uh, the ties that bind. And it's this is actually inspired from the Bruce Springsteen song, The, Sp the Ties That Bind, but it's not a music question. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name three things. And uh, actually, I should mention, it's also sponsored by Tobacco or USA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Chapman, and A.G. Room Cigars. Tobacco or USA, great things are happening here. But I'm going to name three things, and you just got to tell me what they have in common. I had to get that. Of course, I had to get the plug in there. All right, so. I think this is an easy one, but every time I say it's an easy one, it's a very hard one, okay? So these are adjectives of something is what I'm going to tell you. So I haven't done something with adjectives before, but let's see how this goes. So the three adjectives I'm going to say are stained is the first adjective. Mirrored is the second adjective. And tinted is the third adjective. Glass. You got it. Yep. Good job. I didn't know if it was going to be easy or hard. I actually ran it by someone today. They didn't get it. So, yeah. Uh, good job, Lee. Yep. You got that one right. You got that one right. All right. So, what I got is I got a few more questions for you, Lee. I just got to do a, a short uh, sponsor thing, and then uh, we'll get into uh, a series of some more questions along those lines. And then yeah, I do have a bills, man. Yep. And I do have a uh, sports question I'm going to bring you in for on the Orioles. So, <laughs> we'll have that as well. So, let me first mention. Um, JRE Tobacco, or the authentic Corojo Leaf, is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, Cooper was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it was one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamistron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. In 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, Hunas and Husto bring their very own brand to market, and each contain the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino uh, Sumatra, and each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every draw. And want to mention Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take fact that they're cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection and the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Padron, CLE, Arturo Fuente, Perdomo, and Aganor Salif. They have the best selection, best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the rep. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. And Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. You can place it on online at Corona's website or visit one of Corona's five central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. And finally, I want to mention uh, Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com. Find out about more of that cigars. Live true. So this is the Alec Bradley Live True segment, which will continue into 2024, I'm happy to say. Uh, brought to you by Alec Bradley. And uh, Lee, in this segment, uh, it's more we take a step back from some of the cigar talk, which we kind of started already. And we just talk through um, 
some things about let's get to know you a little better. So I have some rapid fire questions here. Uh, yes. I tried to tailor some of these to you, and then this is some I pull uh, from the regular pool of questions. But this first one I got to ask, and you, I hope you can answer it, right? Because it depends if you like this food item or not. Because if you don't like it, it's probably not going to go anywhere, this question. But Philly's known for cheesesteaks. Baltimore's known for crab cakes. I want to know the best crab cake to get in Baltimore, if if that's something you Oh, man. There's so many. Uh, G&A is probably – Super famous for the locals. I mean, Jimmy's uh-huh. Famous Seafood, they do a really great job. Oh, man, there's so many. Um, yeah, those two would probably be the okay. go-to spots. What makes them what, – what can you tell us that makes them better than maybe if I go get, like, a crab cake, at the, the, the run-of-the-mill crab cake somewhere? Yeah, I mean, here – I'm going to tell you this right now. You cannot ever live by true. If you go somewhere outside of Maryland that says Maryland-style crab cake, do not buy that crab cake. That's like Philly-style <laughs> cheesesteak. That's like Philly-style. Yeah, when they put Philly-style yeah. cheesesteak, you kill it. Yeah. Yeah, so I tell you, my wife's from Pittsburgh, right, knows nothing about crab cake. She thinks she's doing a great – she do, thinks she's doing me a great service when she brings right. home Maryland-style crab cakes and I don't right. eat them. Um, <laughs> it's, it's because, you know, no filler, right? It's all jumbo lump backfill yeah. crab meat. Right. Like, I don't want any filler. I don't want to see breadcrumbs. I don't want to see anything. I want to see large peat chunks of meat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very easy to tell the difference once you've had a true crab cake, for sure. Nice. Nice. Good job with that. Yeah. So I got to remember those two places. All right. So we're going to stick with we're going to stick with Baltimore here. I have two questions related to the Orioles. And then I'm actually going to do a trivia one at the end. All right. I want to know your favorite Orioles player of all time. Man, I'm not going to do the usual, right? Like, because everyone <laughs> my age is going right. to say Cal Ripken Jr., right? Like, right. It, but I will say post-Cal Ripken, it would have to be Adam Jones. Really? Um, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, like, my grandfather and I were really close. He was a big Baltimore homer. Anything Baltimore, he was he was all about it. But what he would always say about Adam Jones is he reminded him when Frank Robinson first came to town. Always played hard. Always played the Oriole way. Um, yeah, Adam Jones, super, super cool dude, great human being, but like, what a, what a baseball player. Liam, yeah, oh, I, have, I have another question. Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, sure. go ahead, go ahead. Brady Anderson, juice or no juice? He was definitely on the juice, especially when he hit 50. <laughs> when he hit 50, he might have gotten off of it, but like, when he hit 50 home runs, yeah. like, come on. <laughs> the 50 home run leader of header. <laughs> yeah. So, so Lee, I'm actually old enough to remember watching Brooks Robinson play and Reggie Jackson play as an Oriole. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so I Brooks, actually remember like, Reggie as an Oriole. Yeah. The the crazy thing about Baltimore is is that it, it's one. It is a true blue collar town, right? Right. And so when these players were around for a very long time, I mean, they were part of the community. Right. right. You know, especially back in that time, even with the the Baltimore Colts and the Orioles, like these guys had real jobs. Like, you know, like they worked at Bethlehem Steel or whatever, you know. So we would always hear stories about, like, Brooks Robinson being down the road or whatever. And actually, my son is named after Brooks Robinson. Wow. So, you know, there, there's wow. that old – that it's funny you brought up Reggie Jackson, right? Because there was that old um, – there was that old adage, and it came back around when Brooks passed away this year. Um, in Baltimore, we don't name candy bars after, you know, <laughs> baseball player. We name our kids after Brooks Robinson. Yeah. So – yeah, I mean, uh, he was great. I mean, one of my favorite pictures of all time is with him and all his gold gloves, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, you know, growing up, in, I grew up in New York, and we were very spoiled that we would get American and National League baseball games with, with the. Sure. So, you know, I got to see a lot of Reggie, you know, when the Yankee games were all on free TV back when I was young. So I do remember him uh, when he played for the Orioles. It was 76. I, I, I That's had a, right. It was the bicentennial year. That's why I remember that. So uh, it's it, most people. It, it's, yeah, I wouldn't remember that. It, it's so funny. My grandfather used to always tell the story. And now I've heard this story like a thousand times when they traded Milk Pappas for Frank Robinson because they the Reds said that Frank Robinson was an old 30. And all he did was come over and win the Triple Crown the MVP. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> what a, I think Eric Espinosa talks about that trade like forever. Like if you guys come about the Milk Pappas trade. <laughs> It has to be the worst trade in baseball. Right? He'll he'll like, he'll and, remind you it was the worst worst <laughs> trade in baseball. I I still think uh, when the Mets took Juan Samuel off the Phillies' hands, it was pretty good. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, good. all right. One last story. Like you know, I got a trivia question at the end. But okay, um, the 1983 Orioles team or the 1970 Orioles team, which do you have an affinity for more? Man. 83 is big because, you know, you had, you know, you had Palmer Ripken and Eddie Murray. But 70, 70 was big because they had 420 game winners. I know. That was a, that, yeah. Right. Uh, but I, for me, uh, it's tough. It's got to be 83. But that's tough, man. That killed, that, that team destroyed my team that year in the World Series. But I knew we didn't have a prayer that year against you guys. Yeah, I yeah. mean that that that's tough. But like when you have yeah. four twenty game winners, I mean that's that's yeah, yeah. That's that pretty was, intense. That's pretty intense. That's pretty. I mean, that's one of the great teams. Yeah, that's just you know a a, a legacy team. I just look at that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I do. I did have a lot of fun watching that eighty three. That eighty three team was a fun team to watch. So I'll say that. Uh, yeah, uh, so much youth, right? And they kind of. You, there's a lot of talk in Baltimore about what they're doing now to back to that 83 team, homegrown talent and, you know, all those things. But, yeah, I mean, 83 was a big deal because it was kind of the introduction to Cal Ripken and all those guys, you know. Yeah. And they had Rick Dempsey. And so we, we don't forget that. It's yeah. Been a long, it's been a long wait, but it's, uh, that was a good team. No, 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 no. Yeah, you remember uh, you had you had to, a pretty good uh, bench that year. You had like Gary Renicky on the bench. And yep. stuff like that coming off. So, uh, it was uh, you had to, of course that was McGregor was your ace that year. I believe McGregor was yep. the ace. Um. Yeah. So that was a that was a, a fun team to watch. All right, we'll move away from the baseball uh, in Baltimore for a little bit. Um, what's your all time favorite TV show? Oh wow, um, man! I have a lot. I really, really like. You I will be say honest. more than if one. We, yep. It'll be solely based off of what I rewatch the most. Probably The Office. I watch The Office a lot. Uh huh. A lot. Popular lot. answer we gotten. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I, you know, I was in college when it was on TV, and then like after the fact, and now with Peacock's doing the marketing of like releasing the Super Van episodes and stuff. Yeah. Um. That you know, of course, the wire. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a homer. I'm a homer. I, okay. That my was like ten minutes. That was filmed ten minutes great, from my home. In great Baltimore. show, too, by the way. Great show. It yeah. was really well done. It was probably the last show that HBO ever did a good ending on. Yeah, um, yeah. but you know, but it okay. yeah, right. probably the wire in the office. 
Yeah, yeah. No, my uh, and my boys are really my older boys. They're all into the office right now. They're just all over about that show. It's so funny, man. Yeah, Even yeah. if they watch, like, especially what they've done. I mean, when you rewatch, when you watch the super fan episodes on Peacock, it's like watching for the first time. There's so much that they cut out when it was just on regular TV. Oh yeah, I it, bet. I bet. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like those extra 15 minutes per episode, it's like a whole new show. Yep. Yep. All right, we'll turn to music. What's some of the music on your playlist? If you have a playlist or at all, man, I'm a big singer songwriter guy. So I'm big into like, uh, I like a lot of country. I like everything though, you know, right. um, big playlist, uh, you know, Jamie Johnson, Cody Jinks, Tyler Childers, those kind of guys. I like, you know, I like everything though, whether you, whether it's hip hop, you know, salsa, whatever. But if I had to pick something that I constantly go back to, it's that genre of singer songwriters. Oh yeah, I, 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 I'm I a big like highwayman, like you know Willie Nelson, all those guys. That's kind of my jam. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I was just listening to a bunch of country, uh, for the music show we do, um, and uh, I was pretty impressed with this Brothers Osborne album. Yeah, they're yeah. they're pretty good, but pretty you know good. it was really yeah. it was really weird. So I, I grew up with my grandparents, right? So like, it was either Motown or country music. So like that was a big part of the influence, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I really listen to everything, you know, so I, I enjoy music, you know, because I travel so much podcast music are pretty much everything I'm listening to. Yeah. I bet. Um, so, yeah, but I'm definitely big on singer songwriters for sure. Nice. Nice. You said you did a lot of travel. What's a country that you haven't visited that you want to visit? Oh, man, I don't know. I've been to quite a few. Um I would have to say I haven't done much in Africa. I did a little bit. I was in Egypt and wow. I, I'd like to go to, you know, I like to see new things, right? I love to travel, right? So pretty much any country I haven't been to, I want to go to. Um, one thing I do want to see the Northern Lights, right? I, I don't know if you guys ever watched that. Uh, was it? Uh, it's Eugene Levy's show, The Reluctant Traveler. Yep. I've, I've went, seen it. It's so good. It's so good. He went to Norway and saw like the the Northern Lights and stuff like that. I, I'd like to do that. I haven't done that, but yeah. I mean, I've lived all over the world, right? So I lived in the Middle East. I, I lived in Ireland, you know. So I, I've been around. Um, but that'd be cool. I've never seen the Northern Lights. I'd like to do that. Yeah, I was in Sweden in September, uh, two thousand eighteen, and it was supposedly a good time to see the Northern lights, but it wasn't from Stockholm where I was. I yeah. would have to, I would have had to go a ways out. Well, they um, say it's like a shot in the dark, right? There's no guarantee that there's no guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I really didn't want to take like a train to some village at night. Yeah, it's right. So yeah, I just, I didn't go, but they said, like they were telling me, Oh, this is the Northern lights are starting to, to be seen. They were telling me like, uh, so no, I didn't get, yeah. to see, but I would have liked to see that as well. All right. Dream car to drive. Hmm. That's a good one too. I you know I've always it's so funny. I my first car was an 86 Super Sport Monte Carlo, but I've always oh, I wanted those nice. cars. I know nice. that was yeah. that was my first car. I always have wanted a Grand National. And yes. uh we do collect some cars here. Yeah. Um, I haven't been able to to capture one of those yet, but I always wanted a Grand National, and I'll never forget this. Like my grand, my grandfather, like 
most older Italian men love Buicks. So he had a he had a few Buicks. And I remember he had a Regal for my grandmother, and then he had a Somerset. And he told me one time, and this is the first time I, and probably the last time I ever cussed at my grandfather. He told me the Somerset. It was either between this and a Grand National. I said, "Why the hell would it ever be between this and the Grand National?" <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I, because the price point was different. <laughs> yeah, I love those body cars. I love those cars. Yeah, man, those OG bodies, man. They were heavy. They looked man. good. They were yeah. cool. I like the gas tank under the license plate. Like yeah. it was, that was a cool car. I yeah, wish man. I would have never got rid of it, but at seventeen, it was really expensive to keep on the road. You know, I bet, I bet, <laughs> I totally bet that. All right, if you had a reality show about you, what would the title be? Oh shit! What are we doing here? That would be. That would probably be it. We might have gotten that one before, so I'm trying to remember. So yeah. Said, what are we doing here? That's a good one. Yeah. What are we doing here? All right. All right. So last segment, Lee. Uh, this is our Espinosa this day in sports history uh, question, brought to you by Espinosa Cigars, makers of award-winning brands such as Six O One, Espinosa, and Knuckle Sandwich. Smoke Espinosa and smoke Espinosa every day, and get into a Lazona state of mind. I edited that part in. How about that, Hector? <laughs> All right. So um, I picked a Baltimore question of something that happened right. today. It's actually December 21st, not 31st. Um, something happened on December 21st, 1995 in Baltimore Orioles history. Now, I'm going to tell you it's an obscure question. You, you may not know it, but I just figured I'd throw it out as a fun question to see if, you, if there's any shot you can get it. Aaron, if you get this, I'll be completely surprised. Okay. So – on December 21st, 1995, the Baltimore Orioles signed second baseman Roberto Alomar to a three-year, $18 million contract. Now, it was that same day they thought they were close to signing this free agent pitcher. They only to see that pitcher go to the Yankees for $19.5 million for three years. Who was that pitcher? And if you want a hint, I'll give you a hint. So the so the Orioles got Alomar, but they lost out on this pitcher to the Yankees. Jimmy Key, you're close. It was not Jimmy Key. You're very close though. Oh, and this okay. wasn't a pitcher that they already had at one point. No, it wasn't a pitcher that they had. Okay, and it, and it was a pitcher who did pitch in New York prior to this. Hmm. See, I was gonna first. My first thought was Messina, but I don't know that was the timeline. That he was later. Out. Messina yeah. was later. He was yeah. later. Yeah. So Messina then I'm thinking. Was... Then I'm thinking Kenny Rogers, but didn't he? He didn't pitch in New York before that, did he? It was not Kenny Rogers. All right. And he, and he did not pitch in New York beforehand. Oh man. I feel like as soon as you say it, I'm gonna know it. <laughs> and I and I pulled this from the Washington. Uh, the Washington Post newspaper, so it's a legitimate thing. Yeah, it, he pitched in New York beforehand, um, and he would go on to pitch a no-hitter with the Yankees. Oh, was David Wells? I was going to say now, yeah. That's a, no, that would be my next wasn't guess, David too. Wells either. Because hmm. he was with the Orioles, yeah. yeah. It wasn't David Wells, but you're not far off with the name. <sighs> David Cohn? David Cohn. Mm. No. Yeah, with the Mets before. Yeah, it was with the Mets before. Yep, and that's apparently, a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah you could you could Google that one. It was actually uh, in the Washington Post. And I got one last question because this was a, a just another one I threw in. So, in 1948, this home run king, he won a home run title, who was a stiff at the plate, was born. 
So he's a home run guy who just couldn't hit at the plate. It's not Kyle Schwarber, by the way, but he was born in 1948. <laughs> but he was kind of like uh, a Kyle Schwarber type of player. Uh, go ahead, Glee. I'll let you go first. And he guess, played for the but... Orioles? No, he did not play for the Orioles. I yeah, don't this think is he just did. an open-ended. Play. I don't think okay. he might play. He might play for the A's, Aaron. I think he. Might he did. Play, I, if, yeah. my, if it's the guy I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I'm not sure. I don't know. Dave Kingman. Dave Kingman. Yeah, uh, there you go. Dave Kingman is a uh, a legendary guy in New York. Uh, he was a. Uh, so my the first game I ever actually went to was A's. Dave Kingman was on the A's at the at the time, and they played the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, so, wow. I got uh that was my introduction to Lynn Sakata. So that <laughs> okay. Was, it was cool. Yeah. So it was a nice time. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got a I got a trivia for you guys. I got a question for you guys. Absolutely. Do you can you name the only pitcher to never give up a grand slam and pitch in a World Series in three decades? Never give up a grand slam. Never gave up a grand slam and pitched in a World Series game in three decades. He so he pitched a World Series game in three decades. Yep. I just killed my first answer. That it's gonna like, be once you hear it, you're gonna it's gonna make a lot of sense. But we'll see if you guys can get it. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking of guys that were around forever, like Gaylord Perry or something like that. But but I figured he probably gave up a, a bunch of grand slams. Yeah, that's what I would say. I was gonna. Well, I was thinking Greg Maddox, but he was in three decades in a World Series. Mar- Mariano Rivera. He wasn't nope. three. He wasn't three. Oh, give up. It, give me a. Give me another hint. Um. He came back out of retirement a lot later in his career. So he he had a long run, retired, and then tried to come back. Wow. Mm. If I give you any more, you're going to get it. All um, right. All right, I'll punt. I'm going to punt. Jim Palmer. Mm, there you go. I didn't think that. Wait, wait. So he's 60, 70, 80s. Yeah. I didn't know he was about the Grand Slam, but good. I should have figured it was something Baltimore. Right? I forgot yeah. Jim Palmer was in the 60s. Yeah, he was like 19, I think, when he pitched in the 66 series. Yeah. He, I mean, he was an 83 team. He looked like, like the big joke, Jim Palmer looked like he was like 28, you know, when he was. Yeah, yeah he still, I mean, he tried to come back in like the early 90s, too. Uh, yeah, I, that's right. That's right. Yeah. He, he did. He did. Um, He did. I mean, I just remember when, uh, towards, I, I remember Jim towards later part of his career when like Flanagan and McGregor were yeah. getting to be. Uh, the, the force, guys, yeah. the big guys on that team, and they started a pretty good rotation, you know, from 79 83. So that's that 79 team was a should have won the world series that year, by the way. They should have, they should have. That was it, Pittsburgh, they got know, Pittsburgh back in that one, yeah. It, it's so, it's so funny. You want to hear something funny that, yeah. that you will still to this day never hear we are family in Baltimore. You will never <laughs> hear we are family in Baltimore. I bet, I bet. I bet you were up three one in that World Series. I remember that too. I, I mean, I was one of the ones I watched on TV growing up. So uh, Willie Stargell, man, Willie Stargell <laughs> and Moose uh, Keyson and Kent Colby. Uh, Kent Colby was awesome. 
Hey, Lee, we want to thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for making the time. Um, yeah. I look oh, forward it's my to my pleasure, guys. Yeah, thank you so great much. story. I look forward to talking to you again and doing this again with you. Uh, love what you're doing. Just keep up the great work, man. Uh, thanks for all you're doing. You know, thanks for your time as well. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Have a happy right, holiday. Nice. Yeah. All, all right, Lee. Um, and we'll catch up with you soon. So happy new year as well. All right, that's Lee Marsh of uh, Stolen Throne Cigars. We got one more segment we're gonna do, uh, but first let me. Uh, and actually, Aaron, I don't know if you saw it. It's gonna be the uh, graveyard segment. Yeah, I th- cigars that are cigar list that are going to the graveyard <laughs> or in the graveyard. So, <laughs> all right. So first, I want to mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company. Founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman, the J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman handcrafting some of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 113-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District in Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as Elra Hall, J.C. Newman owns premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the All-American Cigar, the American and the Angel Cuesta. J.C. Newman's Pensa Fa- Newman's Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua, and it's where Brick Cows, Pearl de Mar, El Baton, Coram, and Yagua cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by Tabacalera A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newman's founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And why don't you Casa Cuevas Cigars? The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of the Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas Cigars. Try the Casa Cuevas Connecticut, Abano, Maduro, La Mandaria, the Cuevas Reserve Line, and the latest release, Sangre Nueva. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas Cigars. Casa Cuevas Cigars, from our castle to yours. And we're going to get into our industry deliberation segment sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the halfway consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the uh, Mi Carita uh, Black, excuse me, the Mi Carita Tricky Chaka, and in 2022 with the Mi Carita Black. Visit TTC Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. All right, Aaron. So um, I know you were very excited about today. I mean, the, the announcement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You've been commenting a little more on the CA stuff this year. I noticed you. Uh, I don't yeah, want to say you don't I, care, I but you've been able to keep up with the hypocrisy of this. You have been much more vocal about it this year, I think, which yeah. is good. Yeah. I liked it. Uh <laughs> If folks didn't see the CA prediction show, Aaron was like the star of the show. Like, and people were talking about that that presentation, that PowerPoint presentation. We'll go down the history. I'll tell you. Yeah, it was a good job. It was a really good job because Aaron Did actually. Uh, we won't rehash it, but Aaron basically uh, formalized uh, a lot of what we've been saying. It's basically uh, a slotted system, and we saw a lot of that. Uh, we won't rehash the CA list here. Right. But I was like, oh, do we talk about the CA list?" I'm like, "Nah." What's that to talk about? We haven't talked about it already. I think uh, with some of our upcoming guests, might be a good topic to bring up for a couple. Well, yeah, yeah. I think we have at least. Yeah, I think the next two guests we have for sure, we bring it up with them. Um, Yeah, because both of these guests have been on the other side of uh, the 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 ratings. So, 
Uh, I spoke to one of them today, actually. I'll say who it is. Next week's is, 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 is next in, on the fourth is Pete Johnson, so he's going to be on for two ninety two. So, uh, and it wasn't. I'm not saying Pete had bad opinions on it. By the way, it was just you know we we had I had a lot of a lot of manufacturers were reaching out to me. Uh, us, I should say today. Yeah. So, um, but you know, here is what I was trying to look at. I was like, you know, I this is you know I saw the reaction of people complaining about. The CA list, okay? Mm -hmm. oh, I'm sick of Padron. I'm sick of Oliver. I'm sick of Fuente. You know, when, when are they going to do something exciting, right? When, when are we going to have some interesting cigars on this list, right? Now, I have been... This is no secret. If you think online media is going to provide any better... <laughs> I'm t Aaron, Aaron, I don't even want... I, I was going to do a rant on how bad the lists have started already this year. Right. I'm, not going, I'm not even going there. But they have been horrendous this year. I, it's been some bad lists. So I started thinking about this, right? Okay, let's go... You know, these consensus lists were supposed to be uh, pulling the correct collective cigar media have been doing... Charlie's been doing this for 13 years, but it's not really as important that the consensus list is... The cigars that are on consensus list are ones that show up on multiple people's lists, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did is I pulled together a list of 20, actually, there's 21, um, 20 cigars over the years. Um, at the end of this, Aaron, I want to pick the three biggest flops. So these 20 cigars are cigars that I would consider that have either gone to the graveyard, meaning they're done, they're not even in commerce on the market anymore, right? or they're an endangered species, good luck finding them, or they're very, they're not really well well known. Okay. Alright. The first one I'm going to do, and, and Aaron, this may be a little, so I'm going in year, I'm going to start with year order here when these came right. out. Uh, and I'll give you where it did on the half of consensus, just so you have a, a notion. But this one may have been before you, the San Latano Oval, which was the number two cigar in the 2011 consensus. Do you remember that cigar? Yes, I definitely remember that cigar. What the hell happened to it? It disappeared. Was uh, it that good? Was it that bad? I mean, well, I mean, I think uh, there's going to be an overall theme, I think, when I look through this list about why these things happen. But um, I think so, too. I think so, but, too. But uh, yeah. with AJ, um, you know, he goes through like these cycles of when he's doing his own brand versus when he's doing stuff for other people, right? Yeah. So he'd have this little push where like he'd really be wanting to, you know, do his own brand and that was his focus. But then he had so much turnover within his own staff and things like that that I just don't – they always got lost. And then he'd move focus to the manufacturing side for other people and stuff like that. And there was just never was any good momentum that lasted with any of his own brands. This – this one, I think what happened, I agree with all that, but I think specifically New World, like basically mm. bastardized overshadowed San Latano, it, yeah. overshadowed San Latano. And then this, I think, went to catalog exclusive. I don't know if it still is, but you don't hear about this. But when this cigar came out, this was San Latano had come out the year before. It kind of AJ was knocking on the door. This one broke the door down for AJ. It was it was a legitimately popular cigar when it came out. Right. This is not one that the media got behind for the wrong reasons. This was a legitimately popular cigar, but I think some things happened. After. I think what you say is valid, and I think the New World thing hurt it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll go to the second one. 
Uh, this is 2012. This was the number one cigar in the halfway consensus, and you can't find it anymore. The Hoya de Nicaragua CYB, the Cuenque Blanco. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, they, they had the name change, and then Jose left, and that was kind of that, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. Um, Jose will tell you he thinks the name change killed it. He yeah, really I think thinks, so, too. I think it did. Um, because here's the thing, and I think you said another key point with this, Jose leaving, because, the, you know, when you launch a new brand, it does take a few years sometimes to get it going. So now, Quanky Blanco becomes the CYB name, right? And now you don't have Blanco around anymore to, like, yeah. sell it. So, yeah, I think that's what happened there. Yep. However, this next cigar, I have a lot of opinions about. The Ortega Serie D Maduro, the number three cigar on the half wheel consensus. I'm curious in your opinion here because this is you know still early on for me. So, uh -huh. um, I uh, I do remember this cigar like taking over by storm, and then it just the, the whole brand just kind of went away. Listen, I like Eddie a lot. We've had him on the show. This was a terrible cigar. <laughs> this was not a good cigar. And the media got behind this cigar, and I don't yeah. understand. And in the end, it didn't succeed because it was – this was my opinion. This was a media – this was a blogger cigar. Okay. So it uh, came out of Pepin. It was just a very average cigar. Um, and there were people who just – you know, Eddie was very popular with the online media back then, the blog. He, Eddie's always been good to us. And I like Eddie a lot. Like I said, I've, I liked other things that Eddie has done. I did not like this. I, I, I did not like the Serie D Maduro, and mm -hmm. I think that's why it died. Okay. And I think when that died, Eddie was done, by the way. Yeah. It did, yeah. All right. Also from 2012, um, the E.P. Carrillo Cardinal Maduro, number seven. Uh, I mean, the, uh, I know it's a little before you, but I have a few. No, I mean, I'm very, I was very familiar with the cigar. Right. Um, but talk about this is a brand that just rebrands itself every six months almost is like what it feels like. I mean, it, it, this was a cigar that got like, I think, shuffled around so much in how they restructured everything. And then it just kind of disappeared. Right. Yeah. It was a good blend. I think it was one of the best cigars he's done, which is kind of puzzling to me. But the branding kind of hurt it. Uh, it, it was just, it was very, I think EPC's branding and their packaging early on was very bland and yeah. it was tough to differentiate this, the core line, it just, it, the, the packaging didn't scream excitement, but the cigar was really good. This is one I'll say it was very good. Mm -hmm. And I think this was one that the media and back then I believe they were sending more samples out back then the media got behind this one. It was a good cigar. This wasn't an Ortega issue. This was in my top 10. I remember that year. And to this day, I still am puzzled how this cigar just flopped. It was just a good cigar. Yeah. All right. This one you may not remember. Also, the last one from 2012. The 262 Revere was number 20. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, I'm familiar with this brand as well. Um, this was one of those... Uh, was the Nashville tweet up kind of companies? Yep. Right. Yeah. It's so Clint Aaron, this was Clint Aaron's yeah, this company. Is, you know, this is when uh, you know Clint Aaron, Fred Rui kind of had this little, I don't know what you call it, a little click going on or whatever, yeah, and stuff like that. So, um, but super small company, right? So, um, 
I think this that's just something that happens with small companies. They you know they come and go and things like I that. I think that so was, it's, it's not an established brand that yeah you know, had something that lost out. This is exactly the case of it. Clint was a good guy. He he again uh he did make a lot of friends with the media world. So the media got behind this cigar. Um, I liked it. This was not an Ortega issue, but I think it was an issue of when Clint got out of the business. And I think you know two six two still exists as a brand, but it was sold. Right. Yeah. But they have. I I haven't heard any. I mean, I haven't heard much from them. Um. So yeah, this one. But this one was. I don't think Clint was ever able to get out of being a Facebook cigar or or Twitter. So it was. He was more of a Twitter cigar. I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, the brand just didn't work. Good cigar, though. These next two, I think, are obvious answers. Um, in 2013, I, we're going to go through the top three for 2013. Let's start with number one, Ezra Zion Tantrum. <laughs> uh, a company that had great cigars uh, their first few first couple years, I think. Um, but that just completely fell apart. Um, you know, internal strife within the within the ownership and then i think the the person that uh was the the impetus behind the, those blends was gone and then that that branch completely shifted for, to what it was i have like most of the early Ezra Zion stuff as you said like and i agree all that happened i like the FHK i thought that was a really good cigar i like the uh Eminence, Reagan. the Reagan the Jami Vu whatever it was yep the tantrum was awful. I, I got to be honest; it was an awful cigar. Okay, and the, it got number one because of the way Charlie was doing the consensus that year. There were thirteen mm. cigar federation right, and all, were, they all counted. Oh yeah, they all counted, but it was a terrible cigar, which is why you don't hear about it. This was not a number one cigar. I'm sorry, yeah. it was awful. I like I said I liked a lot of the others. The Eminence and the FHK were really good blends, actually. Mm. I thought, uh, but yeah, that was my thing on that. Um, actually, this is, should say let's see a black. It was the number right. two, uh, to 2013. Uh, that's just Sam kind of, I think, well, like, Sam friends with online media, but died as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now this one's a little bit of an enigma, and I included it. Um, the JD Howard reserve from 2013 was the number three cigar. Yeah. I, I I'm not really sure what to say about this one. This is the days when the media was very much uh, Crown Heads fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think this cigar sold well. Yeah, that's all. I mean, I don't think it's discontinued, but it's hard to get. Yeah, but media guys, they were all about they were all about Crown Heads those first few years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, they were all about like. They, you know, and, and John was, like I say, he had a lot of good connections in the media back then. So, yeah. Um, but I don't think the cigar ever moved. Was the, I think that was the problem. Mm-hmm. Miguel may get mad at me for saying that, but there were other things that came along. I think that sold better for them. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of rumors that the Jericho Hill was the old Ortega Serie D. Oh, yeah? I, hmm. I, I didn't disagree with that. But <laughs> I, so I'll just say that. So, all right, we're going to go to two, it was, 2014 was actually a pretty good list, so I didn't uh, do anything. 2015, this was another cigar that was all the rage. The Camacho American Barrel Age at number 14. It's gone from the market today. Yeah. That was an experiment that did not work for Camacho. 
Yeah. Um, they tried and it didn't work. Yeah. I don't know if it was too expensive of a of an issue, but I that do think been. those cigars again they they did a big media push that year. You remember mm-hmm. we were getting like these huge. Remember there was these huge packages we were getting from Camacho. Um, they were, and I think they got rate. I don't. They got rated, and then they just fizzled. I don't think they ever took off in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I put this one in here. I don't think it's totally discontinued. I may be wrong, but this was a popular cigar. I didn't think it was a bad cigar. From 2016, the number six cigar in the consensus was the Hoyle Amistad. And this is one of those ones where AJ was out of his own thing, doing the thing for other yeah. stuff, other people, right? So, yep. yep. Good cigar. Um, And then they came out with the gold, silver, black, and killed this, I think. They just jumped yep. the shark. General just did what they did. They had a chance to build a brand. I thought that was good, and they just went too fast, and I think they killed it that way. Yeah. The Cornelius. Now, I, I included the Cornelius. I could have put any C- Cornelius and Anthony cigar here, mm-hmm. but I picked Cornelius. It was number nine in 2016 because it came out of El Teton. Yeah. And it, you know, I don't know. I never saw that cigar have any legs. The The other stuff that, that Espinosa and Hector was doing had some a little bit of yep. tease. This cigar never had legs, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, they tr- I don't remember this being all that great of a cigar. That was, yeah. You know, they did a Lonsdale one year in it. And yeah. I don't, it just, it wasn't that greatest. It was like, to me, it was like an El Teton. There was nothing great about this cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it, to me, again, Point of Sanity was doing a lot with the media that year. Yeah. So I think that's how it got on there. All right, we're going to 2017. We got to include soccer on here. So, Todos Los Dias, number three. Gone. It's yeah. Gone. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. Soccer will tell you the reasons uh, why it was this. He said it was a slower mover by his own mission. Right. Um, he had to use the tobacco for something else. Totally understandable. Mm-hmm. And he did try to bring it. He did try to bring it back last year with that archive series. I didn't see it really take off. I didn't see a lot of people smoking it. Yeah, he he may tell me he may tell me I'm wrong on that, and I, if he's I apologize, but yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to 2017, the number four cigar of the year, the Underground Sungrown. Yeah, that was never a cigar I really got behind. Um, I I I didn't mind it; wasn't a bad one, but it just never took off for Drew State after that. Yeah, I I I don't know. I I didn't like the name. Was my part? I thought it should have been mm. Underground Sumatra, but um, but in the end, I just think that was another big marketing push that Drew State did with that cigar with the media, right? So it got on there. Now number nine, two thousand seventeen. I'm picking on Drew State with this one. I'm sorry, Drew State. Uh, but this was a rough year they had. Uh, All Out Kings. This is t- Caldwell. Yeah, um, I think there's another one going to be a little bit down below. That's I think a similar thing is that the, it's you know it's the um, collaboration thing. Um, the collaboration it, it, it was just a cigar that took forever it, it, to get out. Yeah, and then I think that there was like a but a like even though I think that the hype fizzled out before it actually came out, like people still wanted to like get behind it because of who's who was working on it. But yeah, it just never it didn't really work out in the end. I think what happened, though, like I mentioned 2017 being a little bit of a rough year. 
Drew State had a great 2018. Mm-hmm. That's when they came out with the you know the H99 and and they introduced them at least. You know they they redid the whole Herrera Esteli portfolio. Factory Smokes comes out. A lot of things came out. So I think this was kind of a little bit of a rough year. I think it was almost. I think this year might have led to that year might have led to the, a better 2018 for Drew State. Right. Because now at number 21, the Pappy Van Winkle tradition not discontinued, but this was a Drew Diplomat cigar that eventually just went to Pappy and Company. Um, it wasn't a cigar I think that lit anyone on fire. No. I know media guys got behind it. Drew Sagan does a good push with the media. I just didn't see how it tied into the the brand they were trying to sell it as. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I didn't. I didn't because again, it kind of goes back to Weller by Cohiba. They it was the same mistake. They tried to brand it, but they didn't try to. They didn't try to connect it like with some of the barrel age. But the other Pappy, they did. The other Pappy, yeah, they did. Yeah. So that's why it worked better. Right. All right. I'm going to jump to 17 and go back to 16 because this is also another Drew State. Sure. FSG 2017. Yeah, this one is. Um, I was a little surprised with this, this one. A head uh, for me because uh, this is the cigar I actually like. like me too. Um, me too. I you think know. it aged well. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, Jeff's got it still. It's still a Jeff yeah. store. You can get yeah. it, but it's not part of the Drew State portfolio. Right. And to me, I thought it was, look, it was a part of it is it introduced the FSG product. And there wouldn't have been things that came along afterwards if it wasn't for FSG. I think it was a necessary step. Yep. Um, I had it on my decade list as an impactful cigar because I think it did open the door for using this Florida tobacco in a lot of places. Yeah. So I yeah. think it was a necessary... I'm not saying it was the greatest cigar, but it was good. I thought it was a good cigar, Aaron. I did. Yeah. I, I enjoyed yeah. this cigar. Those Robustos were really good. All right. I'm going to jump back up to this one on, on the list here. This is one I want to get your... I really am curious on your opinion with this <laughs> one. Okay. So this was number 24 in 2017, and it was number 6 in 2018. This is the Vilger Lafleur Yin Clan. Man, really good cigar, but Villager just, um, they struggle with their U.S. presence. Um, and I just think that, um, I think they battled the, you know, trying to get footholds in retailers and just kind of how they've their businesses ha- run over the, you know, the last 10 years or so. I just think that they've really just struggled to like, I don't know. It's it's completely different than what AJ's issue is, but yeah. Um, it's in the end, it's kind of similar where it just kind of goes in these little waves, but really good cigar. So I have a bunch. Yeah, I have an opinion on this too because you had this number one. You had a number one with this cigar, yeah, exactly. With the with the with the quote unquote Lancero, right? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to give credit to Gabriel Panaris for getting this on the consensus, mm. and maybe a little bit of a cigar aficionado as well, right? But I'm going to give Gabriel a lot of credit. In my opinion, this was a very good cigar. You're 100 percent right. If Gabriel wasn't there and it was Villager 2023, this cigar it would be the best cigar no one would be talking about. Right. He got this cigar. He got people talking about Villager again for a while. Um, I thought, you know, eventually Gabriel's got to move on and do something else. I thought the framework he would put in place would continue, and it, it hasn't, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's unfortunate. They don't have, like, someone pushing that because this cigar is not discontinued, by the way. So just you know, it's out there. So, but it's it's got no buzz today. This cigar made the consensus two years in a row. It made aficionados top ten. Yeah, but it was a good cigar they did. So, you know, I, I give Gabriel a lot of credit on this one. Yep. 
All right, here's the next one. Go back to Crown Heads again. Crown Heads Court Reserve 18, 2018 number eight cigar. I don't even hear about this cigar anymore. Yep. I it might have been a more limited release in fairness, though. But I, I yeah. Know. See, the problem with Crown Heads is like I don't think their core lines stick on them. They're not they don't have they're doing a good job at Mill DS, but a lot of these other core lines, they just kind of come and then they kind of stall their their annual releases are the ones that seem to be have stuck around right yeah. but it's something that's always new, it's new every year right so yeah it's, like not, they do it's a, not a core it's not a true core line right so right you know they said you we can i can probably rattle off about 10 crown heads lines like i don't know how many i mean i have these four kicks is still key is Headley grange somebody i'm not saying these are discontinued they've slowed down is what i'm just saying mm -hmm. so I, we were making the comment. I don't know if this was on you and we were on the show, but I said, I, if any company does not need to put out a new core line, it is Crown yeah. Heads. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I, if any company, I would just say, and I and they have some good the ones where I revisit and maybe try to jumpstart them again because there's some good they've done a lot. So yeah, yeah. So it's not the pick, I'm not trying to pick on them. I want to see them do well. Um, in this case, but yeah, we've seen a lot of these examples of on here. All right, this next one I think is just a case of a company going out of business. The M Bombay Classic, yeah, two thousand eight, number seventeen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Miss Mel, I miss Mel by the way. He's a yep. I always enjoyed his stuff, and uh, this guy actually killed when it came out, and he still signed with me as a sponsor. I destroyed this cigar. I didn't like it. Yeah, but then he reblended. I think this is the year he reblended the Torpedo, and I thought it was much mm. better. So, uh, two more. So. La Coalition, I think we talked about that one kind of with All Out Kings. I think it's the yep. same deal. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was number 20 in 2019. And then I don't know how this one made it. It's not Laura Classic. It's Laura with 107 Nicaragua. I don't know how Laura 107 Nicaragua made it number 15 on the consensus in 2020, <laughs> but it did. And I have no clue how that happened. Probably because they sent him out that year. That had to be the only reason. That's why I clue. Because Laura 107 Nicaragua came out um, I may have come out a year or two before, but I yeah okay all right so we there's a list of these flops there's probably others you could think of um this is not meant to disparage any of these brands or anything uh but it does show a lot of these cigars this you know it's the old skip martin thing how many of these brands are around for you know it's one thing i agree with skip on by the way is how many of these right. brands are gonna be around for years to come so um if you had to pick three of the biggest flops what would those three big flops be uh, three biggest flops. I'm going to go, my criteria is going to be with, um, kind of established companies, I guess that you yep. would have thought yep. that they would have probably been able to do it. So let's go with the Cardinal Cardinals on mine, by the way. Yep. Um, uh, I mean, throw a dart at any, any of the crown heads, I guess, any of the ones that there were that are just yeah. their, their company only not, um, not the Cobalt Coalition, which is the kind of collaboration. Right. Um, probably the Pappy. Maybe the Pappy. I hate saying that the Pappy. I hate saying that. The Pappy's got to be on it. That was also the most premium cigar they did. I, I got to put the Pappy as my second as well. I have yeah. the Cardinal and the Pappy as well. Um, My third one was the Oval. Oh, okay. Because the Oval was huge. I don't know yeah. what. I never saw. The Oval had a lot of momentum that year. Yeah. 
Um, now, like I said, I don't think I think a, I think something else just replaced it in the portfolio. I think a new world really replaced what happened. You could argue that the the mold you see the molds today used, uh, like even the, the most recently that oval mold was used on um, the uh, Guy Fieri fifty five. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so um, so excited. I know you're very excited about some of these lists coming out and. Uh, we'll see how well, maybe in future years. We'll, I I didn't look at the aficionado side of this. I may at some point look at it next year and see if there's a graveyard right. for them. It'd be interesting to see that, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's a like I said, it, this is not knocking these cigars. A lot of these cigars I really liked. You know, mm -hmm. there was the tantrum I didn't like, but the, the 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 Ortega I didn't like, but a lot of these others I did like. Right. So there you have it. There is the uh, graveyard for this year. All right, so um, by all calculations, this is the last primetime show of 2023. Mm -hmm. um, we go into 2024, um, and we have, um, what do you call it? We have, uh, start off with Pete Johnson on, on right. the fourth. Um, so stay tuned on that. And we have three other guests, two other guests that month, so... I'll announce those as they come, but Pete's going to be on. Um, sure, like I've kind of always liked the position Pete for this end of year, beginning of the year type of thing. So, right, and I think it's worked out with him. We just kind of slot him in for that. So we'll do, it's always good catching up with Pete on that. Yep. But to our audience, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, whatever you're celebrating, enjoy the holiday season. Aaron, I know you're getting some time with the family next week, which yep. is good. Yeah. Uh, so enjoy that. Uh, but that's going to wrap up prime time. Primetime episode 291 into the Annals of History. We're ending this on December 21st, 2023. <laughs> so we're not going over. Shorter show on the shortest day of the year. So, yeah, there you um, go. Uh, again, best wishes to everybody, and we'll see you next year. Take care, everybody. See you guys. <laughs>